that ought to shake the boots or shake the feet of, you know, in the boots of every American that that we have that kind of 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 a of a, of a process or system or person in a in a in such a in such a powerful leadership position that is frankly probably in fear of of uh, of what I um, what I was you know considering doing the kinds of things that I wanted to be able to do frankly not because I was trying to hurt somebody it was because I was trying to help the country and when people tell me Dan that oh we're so sorry for what happened to you I tell people don't feel sorry for me feel, feel sorry for this country because you know the country and I'll speak for myself the country didn't get the benefit of of decades of service and 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 intimate knowledge that I have of thing of how the how things operate and also to be able to advise the president of the United States because they they were damaging him People weren't coming after uh, Mike Flynn or Donald Trump at the end of the day. They were coming after America, and they were coming after the system that we have that we should be proud to have. And now we're just in phase, whatever you want to call it, phase five with this. So this is the Mike Flynn interview that I've been teasing I teased it, I think, last week. I was talking about it. I'm going to have a couple clips here. So in this one here, he goes through, he says... We're in phase five, and he says, uh, you know, Obama is afraid of what I was going to do. Throughout throughout this interview, he has a lot of cryptic uh, messages. I don't know if it's redacted information or it's confidential and he can't say it exactly, or if he's kind of hinting at something. What it seems like to me is, and, and I've said this before, Mike Flynn was against a lot of the international policies of Barack Obama, uh, and foreign foreign affairs as well, because they were not making America better. They were helping other countries. So, what General Flynn to me is referring to is that you had you had a president and administration, and as well as complicit uh, individuals in the Senate, the DOJ. I mean, the whole the whole establishment right now seems like. They're really showing their true colors with this Pennsylvania as well as this uh, this Texas lawsuit that was just turned down by the Supreme Court. It seems like they're really showing their true colors at this point. Uh, now, what I think he's referring to is when he says fate, and he says phase five of you know, it seems like these people that are in our government are actually trying to fundamentally change our constitutions, our rights as citizens. Uh, the way in which our country was found, founding principles, the elements, the core, and the foundation of our country, it seems like they are trying to change it. Whether it's the deep state, whether it's the establishment, or whether it was just Barack Obama and all of everything that's going on with his election being considered and all the anomalies that are in place, and I've gone through all that information, it seems like there's much bigger players in this game or or the opposing side. And when I mean the opposing side, I'm not talking about a Democrat party, I'm not talking about a Republican party. The opposing side is in the deep state. The swamp, the, the establishment seems to really be rearing its ugly head, and they seem to be much more unified than we thought, and they're stronger or rather uh, more PO'd over the Trump administration, the idea of making America great. Uh, they, they would rather America ship our jobs, ship our money, or practice globalism rather than anything else. And I think you'll see it through this interview. 
Uh, now that's the first clip I'm gonna have another another four from what it looks like. Uh, next I have Dan Bongino stating Flynn was set up on the Logan Act. Uh, he cites the Logan Act. Uh, I'm gonna after this I'll cite the Logan Act for everybody, and we'll we'll go from there. So uh, play that clip. This FBI agent admitted this is not speculation. It's not a conspiracy theory that you were it was a target Flynn operation. They just wanted to get you. Now, because your call with the Russian ambassador was a part of doing business, no different than the maybe Biden administration is doing now, they made up this lie that you lied to the FBI. It's a total fabrication. I'll even show uh, some point on the screen here. Jim Comey admitted himself that your interview showed no signs of deception. Matter of fact, you admitted you viewed these guys as as just part of the national security apparatus. You never saw this as some confrontational interview. They never told you to get an attorney. They never notified the White House in a disgusting maneuver. But what's interesting, General, is we now have the transcript of your call that the FBI used to interview you. Interview you. And I can't emphasize that it's enough. Nowhere in that call are the financial sanctions Obama had levied on Russia mentioned. What the ambassador had mentioned to you was the expulsion of the diplomats, and you gave a very clear answer. You said, hey, we just don't want to be boxed in, nothing controversial. And what's really fascinating, General, again, not about sanctions never came up. You didn't lie about sanctions because nobody asked you about sanctions. There's no evidence of that anywhere. It's not in their 302s. It's nowhere. But what's uh, now, just to make myself clear about Mike Flynn, now, Mike Flynn was not part of the establishment. He's one of very few people that that were considered national security advisors or uh, rather, you know, in cabinets having to do with any type of war. Usually those individuals, a lot of them are establishment types. They're people that have worked in the government as bureaucrats for a very long time. Mike Flynn was a guy that he was, he's been in the military for 30 plus years. He oversaw troops. Uh, you know, he has a lot of battlefield experience. And what he saw when he was on the battlefield is they were getting poor and inconsistent intelligence which is why he actually got into what he got into that is the reason for him becoming a national security advisor is to actually save more of his troops on the ground because the actionable intelligence that they were getting was insufficient and it was causing deaths which is why he even got in the position to begin with so this isn't a normal establishment type guy he's not part of that swamp and uh, he has a lot of battlefield experience. So what Dan Bongino goes through here is he has these FBI agents that are questioning him. And they say, hey, he's not trying to be deceptive. I think he even said, Comey said he even wasn't trying to be deceptive. Then what are they going after him for? They went after him for a Logan Act violation. So what I got here is anything. Now, Logan Act is a United States federal crime and this was in 1799 when they passed it, January 30th, 1799, it was enacted. So a very long time ago, uh, it was in the United States, a federal law that criminalizes negotiation by authorized, unauthorized American citizens with foreign governments having a dispute with the United States. The intent behind the act is to prevent unauthorized negotiations from undermining the government's position. So the reason for this really at that time when they passed it through, was probably for treasoners, uh, the Benedict Arnolds of the world. That's probably the reason in which they, they uh, enacted this law. 
Now, no one has ever in the history of America been successfully convicted on this. I think one person was brought up on charges. Uh, they were dismissed, with the exception of now Mike Flynn. And they were, weren't able to uh, convict him either because Trump pardoned him. Now, this is a political hit job. It's been so. So this law has has existed for more than two hundred years in America, and no one has ever been brought up on it. John Kerry constantly, while not even in the government, will go over. So he is considered an unauthorized American citizen. Would go over to Iran and talk to the mullahs over there in Iran constantly. It was something that he consistently did, and he was never brought up on Logan charges. The swamp, uh, these politicians, even even the rich in this country, the law, law enforcement does not uh, just does not apply to them. The laws do not apply to them right now in our current system. We have the whole Hunter Biden thing going on now. It's they have the fourth. The media now suddenly has recognized that Hunter Biden is a sleaze ball. And now there, there's four different investigations out on him, and now the media is reporting it, which, which to me seems maybe like a way, a ploy to get Joe Biden out of the presidency and then place their puppet uh, Kamala Harris there. If anybody doesn't know, Kamala Harris didn't even get a nomination. She didn't even get to the nomination vote because she ran out of money in her campaign because the amount of support that she was getting was so low. So she owes a lot of people, a lot of, I'm sure, establishment types. And when I say establishment, I say the swamp. Establishment, uh, I would consider a lot of politicians. And then when I say the swamp, I'm talking about people like a George Soros. I'm saying people that are in the background that you don't even, you might not even know their name. They just have tons of money. They were connected to Epstein. They're connected to the Clinton Foundation. So just a little background information on Clinton. Uh, the Clinton her the Clinton Foundation, or rather the Clinton apparatus, I guess you would call it, they paid a law firm called Perkins Coie, and that law firm was a proxy for them, and that law firm... Uh, they hired Fusion GPS, which is a private intelligence agency, and they were the ones that started this whole collusion thing. They had a bunch of actors uh, that, that were posing as foreign agents, and they're the ones that really went after the Trump team, uh, them in the last administration. And it's been found, and it's just not been, it's been underreported. Dan Bongino has about three, three or four different books on it. He's been reporting it constantly because it seems to me like he has some sort of government agents that are uh, correspondents and he doesn't give up his sources but it seems like the way in which he comes through with certain information for example uh i'll, I'll explain later the eric swalwell story but he had some information pertaining to that as well it seems like he has intel inside of the government these people that are whistleblowing in other words so so the logan act was used as a political uh tool to imprison and punish Mike Flynn because he disagreed with Obama's international affairs policies because General Flynn was a pro-America national security advisor and Barack Obama was a uh, groveling to the Middle East president, essentially. So the next one I have here, and the Logan Act, like I said, it's never been convicted on anybody. It's, it's, it's a big joke. 
essentially. And you had, and he was the incoming national security advisor, so it was within his purview to go and talk to Russia. And they were saying he was discussing sanctions, which then they're now uncorroborated. He was not discussing any type of sanctions with Russia. This was all just made up. You have FBI agents testifying that he was not trying to deceive them. This was just a political hit job. And then when they finally came out with the information, all of this information, and it was pretty much a, a baseless claims at this point, the prosecutor would still not drop the charges because they are also politically elected and they are hacks. And next I have Flynn. He infers that the, in this next one, that the DOJ was being weaponized against him in the government deep state. Uh, after he states this, he says he will talk about it further at another time, which I think is very interesting. But just uh, check the clip out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discern it afterwards. You know, what happened? Why did I do what I did? Why did I decide to, to you know, plead guilty in the, in the uh, latter yes. part of 2017? And, and the one thing that I have said, and I said it in my statement, and I, I think you, you were able to, you were able to read those. You know, family is paramount. My faith is paramount. My, but my family is, is, is key to me. So I would just say that the pressure, and pressure in a different way, Dan, and for your audience, it's, it's a, a threatening environment in a, in a place where, where you don't want to be. And you've got the, the U.S. government structure apparatus and you have to make a decision and you have to make a decision and and for me at the time you know and i'll 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 talk a little bit more about this in in in, in other time during other times just because of time for this show but um it's it's one of those places where you don't want to be and so what flynn's referring to it seems like he's he and he says he talks about his family and he talks about the government apparatus and he goes, oh, you know, you have to think about your family first before we do something. To me, it seems like, and and this is, he's referring to how the government was starting to go after his son. They were starting to investigate his son and try to press charges of some sort of perjury or something stupid like that. Like they got him on. And it seems almost like, and then he says, oh, and we'll talk about it at a later time. Almost like it's classified information. Like it needs to be unclassified for him to talk about it. Or maybe something, there's some sort of investigation going on undercover. And they're going to be able to, one of these days, present it or expose it. It is very interesting. So this next part... What he says is he talks about the impropriety with a woman while he was on the campaign trail that they they tried to politic get him to diminish his character. It was just pretty pretty much a political attack, a political political ploy against him and his character to make him look even worse in the case. And then he goes on, and this is the most interesting part probably of the interview, with the exception of the very last my last clip I have, but he talks about the spying that they were doing on him in the warrant that they were able to obtain through the FISA court saying he's, you know, like a special agent or what have, like he's a foreign agent. They can get this FISA court, a warrant in which they can now investigate you in almost like you were a terrorist. So, uh, roll that next clip. All of a sudden it's like, okay, let, you know, whatever these guys do, however, you know, and, and this is how they do business. It's tarnish. It's, tear apart or the reputation it's go after the person instead of going after the what might be a problem you know if they're if these guys really were the fbi and the cia for that matter were you know there's a few people in there that are okay but but uh if they were really good at counterintelligence 
you know, they're not going to be looking at me. They should be. There's a, there's much much bigger problems that we have in the world of counterintelligence. So so what it was was it was all political. It was all about finding ways that we could tarnish this guy. I mean, like like the president told me the other day when uh, when he spoke to me about the pardon, which I really appreciate. He says, you know, you're probably he goes you're probably the cleanest guy in the world, you know. And he's right. <laughs> he's right because they they Dan dug into my entire life. And at the time, I didn't know that they were doing that. They're, they're listening to all my calls. They're doing all these things, right? They're doing all these things. And you're saying to yourself after, you know, when I, when I begin to really realize, and, I, and again, I, I don't want to get too, too deep into it, but you begin to realize, wow, these guys, these guys are really, talk, talk about some snakes. Uh, but- these guys talk about some snakes. Now he's right. Now, what he's saying is, and this is interesting, in our system, the way in which our system works in law enforcement, you find the crime and then you track and then you find the individual that committed that crime. It's not you take the individual and then you pin a crime on them or you search them for crime. You have to the crime has to be committed first. We don't do the minority report where we we go and convict people. We arrest people before they commit a crime. Or we think they might have committed it, so, so we arrest them with, with no type of evidence or corroboration or any t- type of um, probable cause. So this is troubling that they, they went after this guy that did not commit, did not do anything wrong. They found him, and then they, like he said, they're all over his phone records. They're doing all that. That is that is a problem with the the uh, the Patriot Act. That's a Patriot Act issue passed by George W. Bush after the 9-11 attacks that really cut down on a lot of individual liberty and freedom where the federal government at any time can just listen to what's going on in your phone calls. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of NSA stuff going on, a lot of corruption in that. I mean, the whole Edward Snowden and that other guy, Julian Assange, they seem to have a lot of insider information about what was going on. And that's a policy that should have never been passed through. That was a It was a gut reaction. It was a because of uh, 9-11, that was a gut reaction by both parties, the Republican and the Democrat Party, but it should not have ever happened. It kills individual liberty. So so next, in the very last part here, is uh, it's Obama being afraid of Flynn. And, and he goes back to that question, why is it that Obama was so afraid of me? Is it because, you know, I was going to expose, you know, is it because I'm pro-America? Is it because I'm going to expose his international affairs? So that's the very last clip, and it's probably the most damning one. Check this out. But I, I don't know, you know, what was in his mind or in his heart. Why would he? Why would he waste time worrying about me? And you know what? There's there's very good reason because one of the one of the uh, the, the issues that have people, that is public and has come up is this whole business about uh, the various foreign policy initiatives that. The previous administration got themselves tangled up in with, uh, with frankly, enemies of our country. And this here is probably the most telling part of the entire interview. And you'll see I have some Chinese information coming out of Axios, uh, as well as coming straight from the mouth of a professor in Beijing, him saying it himself. And th- this is this has to be the most damning information. We have enemies in our government. 
And that's going to be the theme of this whole show. We do. It seems like we do have enemies in our government at this point that are tangled, like he said, tangled up in some really bad stuff. And he was going to expose them. And Obama saw him as a threat. So Obama went after him. Obama, when he first met up with Trump in the transition over to the Trump administration, the first thing he said to him was he talked about one. He talked of two things to worry about. He goes, uh, North Korea was the first one, and the number two is General Flynn. Why? And Donald Trump, he 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 actually listened. He heeded the advice of President Obama because he didn't at that time he didn't know how deep the swamp and the establishment was, and he did he got rid of General Flynn, and then they went after General General Flynn over these last couple of years, and then Trump I think was waiting it out to because Trump of you know, eventually figured out that it was just, everything was just a political hit job to try to devalue him as the president because those first two years, the house of representatives, as well as the Senate was held by the Republicans. So they really could have passed some major legislation to benefit the American people, but they did not want that to happen because they're in the pocket of other entities, whether it's China, whether it's Iran, whether it's the Middle East, I don't know what exactly it is, but it seems like they're in the pocket of other countries. They are practicing globalist affairs in these other countries, and that's what General Flynn was going to expose, so he was a giant threat to uh, Barack Obama. But, uh, yeah, so so Donald Trump wanted the system to work out, the justice system. He wanted Flynn to get off the right way. He did not want to have to give him a pardon. And I'm sure General Flynn thought, felt the same way. He wanted to show trust in the American system. I mean, look what's going on right now with the election. What kind of trust is there in the American system right now? It seems like it's falling apart. And, and I'll go over why it seems. It's not the system falling apart. It's the people in the system. The system is fine. The system should function the way in which it was proposed, the way in which it was written. There's no issues with the system. The issue is with the people in the system that are that are currently running it in the government. So next, like I mentioned, I have I have Director of National Intelligence, the DNI Director uh, John Ratcliffe on an interview he does at CBS. Check it out. The president. Ratcliffe has shifted significant intelligence resources to focus on China and for the first time publicly accused the communist government of working to influence American lawmakers. You say China is targeting members of Congress with six times the frequency of Russia and 12 times the frequency of Iran. What is behind Beijing's aggressive approach? through blackmail, through bribery, through overt and covert influence, trying to make sure that only laws that are favorable to China are passed. China intends to dominate the world economically, militarily, and technologically. And Radcliffe accuses the Chinese Communist Party of lying to the world about the threat of COVID-19 and then aggressively seeking to steal the vaccine research. Nora? Uh, folks, we have, we have enemies among us. We have enemies in our ranks as, as the DN, DNI director said, John Ratcliffe, he just said it. They have influence, and they've been buying influence for years, for a very long time. We have we have a current media elect, Joe Biden, where his son was getting money given to him by the Chinese government, the Chicoms, the Chinese communists were giving him money, and then he was kicking money up to Joe Biden himself. And now those are the people that could be the guy running the country in, in a month or so. That could be it. We and then on top of that, that's that's one overt example. There could be a bunch of other covert examples. 
that we don't even know of at this point. And that's what it seems like uh, Radcliffe is referring to. That seems like what he is alluding to, that there's, you know, we have covert operations, overt operations. We don't know. They do they do sexual things. Uh, they, they send in women spies that do sexual things in order to uh, blackmail uh, representatives and senators. And it's funny, there's this book by, and I've, I've mentioned this book before, it's written by Alan Dulles. Uh, when I was in college, I read it, and it's called uh, the art. I believe it's called the art of Intelli- Oh, the craft of intelligence. It's called. And he was the former CIA director, and he actually explains this. He explains that there were some agents that were that were secretly, or some government officials that were secretly homosexual, and then agents from foreign entities, like a Russian agent, would go and and you know get this person to perform some some gay acts, some gay sexual acts uh, with them, and then they would record it. And they would use it to blackmail them, or they would do the same thing, guys that, you know, have families or what have you, they would do whatever they can to blackmail. And that is something that is going on currently in our system, recognized by our uh, director of national intelligence. So this is the person that everyone reports to in the intelligence agencies and the intelligence apparatus. Next I have, and this is a Chinese... And everything that I'm referring to here will, once again, uh, it'll be in the description. I got Mike Flynn's interview. It's a Rumble interview with Dan Bongino, a director of national intelligence interviews on CBS. This next one is going to be Daily Caller. I got it off of their Twitter feed. Uh, now, this is this is a Chinese economic professor from Beijing talking about the, the affairs, the international affairs between the United States and China over the last couple of years. Play clip three. Speak is a professor from Beijing called Di Dong Cheng. The video comes from an appearance that he made on a Chinese television show about Wall Street and international trade. Di Dong Cheng works at Renmin University in Beijing. He is also, like so many in academia in China, a servant of his country's government. This video was deleted from Chinese social media soon after being uploaded, and there's a reason for that, as you'll see. 原边特朗普政府跟我们打贸易战那么我们为什么搞不定特朗普政府就是因为咱们上边有人啊，就是我们在美国的全市核心圈啊，我们有我们的老朋友。So for you, for you just listening at home on a podcast, if it's not on YouTube or Rumble, where I'm going to have it, uh, I'm going to translate for you, and I'm going to repeat for the people that just watched. This is what this gentleman says, and he's speaking amongst a group, I guess, of like maybe college kids. He's giving some sort of a presentation. He, he states, and I quote, The Trump administration is in a trade war with us, so why can't we fix the Trump administration? Question mark. Why between 1992 and 2016 did China and the U.S. used to be able to settle all kinds of issues? Question mark. No matter what kind of crisis we encountered, be it the Yin-He incident... Uh, and that's, that's a claim that was uh, made in 1993 that China was was moving chemical weapons over to Iran. It was like a siege. It lasted for a couple of days, I think. They were on the water just sitting out there. They ended up finding nothing. And that was in 1993. 
Uh, now, the bombing of the... So, so the Yinhe incident, the bombing of the embassy, or the crashing of the plane, things could be resolved in no time. We fixed everything in two months. It's just because we have people at the top. At the top of America's core inner circle of power and influence, we have our old friends, end quote. So this, this part, now in the video, we are about probably 28, 29 minutes in. Uh, I, I strongly suggest you just to tune in to see this part, uh, to see what's going on with this. But I'm going to have the next video, and he's talking about influence on Wall Street. Play clip six. 是那就过去这个三十年啊，过去四十年，我们在美国的它的这个利用它权势核心圈，是不是？我前面讲过，华尔街在一九七零年代开始对美国它的内政外交有非常强的影响力啊，所以我们有路径依赖，是吧？但问
maybe put some sort of regulations in there, or maybe he just did not play ball. I think the biggest thing is the tariffs in China, which was really killing a lot of the huge corporations in Wall Street that really liked using Chinese goods for very cheap prices, and now they could not do that, and they couldn't get away with that anymore, and they were losing money, I guess, that way. Whereas they usually, you know, when you have the establishment in there, it's all just we're playing ball all the time, no matter what side, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, but you get somebody from the outside that comes out there and runs against the swamp. That's this is what happens. Now they go against him. They try, they attempt to, they attempt to diminish his character and pune him as much as humanly possible. But then you guys don't realize the guy is, was a reality TV host. He's known as a playboy. He has three wives. Uh, He's always been known to be bombastic, a little narcissistic, kind of just goes off it was like throwing it was like throwing trash at a trash monster you couldn't affect him because he already was so he had so much trash on him that even when those excess hollywood tapes came out the gl- grab them by the you know what tapes came out it didn't matter to regular americans cuz they already knew that's kind of in his character and they couldn't diminish him that way. So what they do now is they attempt to try to rig an re- election by doing all these other things. And then the swamp seems very deep when, when the Supreme Court's not going to take any cases. But I'll get to that later. So now the, there's the very last part in this. This is, once again, this is the most interesting, uh, significant part of the entire, of the entire uh, clip. Now play clip six. 但现在呢现在我们看到拜登上台了传统的精英政治精英啊这个建制派他们跟华尔街的关系是非常密切的所以大家看到吧拜登的儿子被特朗普说你在全球有什么基金公司发现没有谁帮他建的基金公司啊明
It's an Axios piece, which is very surprising. Axios has come out with this article, and then they came out with the article on uh, election chaos post-election, which was very surprising. They kind of said the silent part out loud there, which I'm very surprised. Axios is, is a pretty lefty-leaning outlet. So now at this point, they may get attacked because they're actually coming out with some truths here. They broke this story. If anybody's heard about Eric Swalwell, he was a nomination in the Democrat Party uh, for president about a year ago. He dropped out because he had zero support. I don't even think his family members were voting for him. And uh, so this is his relations with this, this Chinese spy. Uh, the article states, a suspected Chinese intelligence operative developed extensive ties with local and national politicians, including a U.S. congressman in what U.S. officials believe was a political intelligence operation run by China's main civilian spy agency between 2011 and 2015. Axios found in a year-long investigation. So they've been on this story for a full year. Uh, the woman at the center of this operation, she was a Chinese national named Fang Fang or Christine Fang, uh, targeted up-and-coming local politicians in the Bay Area and across the country who had the potential to make it on the big on the national stage. Through campaign fundraising, extensive networking, personal charisma, and romantic or sexual relationships with at least two Midwestern mayors, Fang was able to gain proximity to political power, according to current and former U.S. intelligence officials and one former elected official. Even though U.S. officials do not believe Fang received or passed on classified information, the case was a big deal because there were some really, really sensitive people that were caught up in the intelligence network, a current senior U.S. intelligence official said. Uh, private but unclassified information about government officials, such as their habits, preferences, schedules, social networks, and even rumors about them, is a p form of political intelligence. Collecting such information is a key part of what foreign intelligence agencies do. Now, among these significant targets here, we have uh, Representative Eric Swalwell out of uh, California. So just, just to give some information, the reason in which they went after somebody in California to begin with, because a lot of California lawmakers end up making it bigger on the national stage, such as a Kamala Harris right now. Uh, also, that Bay Area over there, there's a lot of influence with Apple, uh, you know, these big tech corporations. There's a lot of influence over there. And there's a very high Chinese population in that area, so it's easier to blend in for these agents. Now, Fang took part, this woman, Christine Fang, she took part in fundraising activity for Swalwell in 2014 re-election campaign, uh, according to a Bay Area political operative and a current U.S. intelligence official, Swalwell's office was directly aware of these activities on its behalf, the political operative said. The same political operative who witnessed Fang fundraising on Swalwell's behalf found no evidence of illegal contributions. Now, a statement from his office, uh, <laughs> and I quote, Rep Swalwell long ago provided information about this person whom he met more than eight years ago and whom he hasn't seen in nearly six years to the FBI to protect information that might be classified. He will not participate in your story, end quote. So the, uh, the FBI must have went to him and told him, hey, listen, this person is not who you think they are. They are a foreign agent. Now, what ha what ended up happening, uh, amid a widening counterintelligence probe, federal investigators became 
so alarmed by Fang's behavior and activities that around 2015 they alerted Swalwell to their concerns, giving him what is known as a defensive briefing. Swalwell immediately cut off all ties to Fang, according to a current U.S. intelligence official, and he has not been accused of any wrongdoing. So this is the big picture. They explain, you know, Silicon Valley is also the world's most important center for the technology industry, making it a hotbed for Chinese economic espionage. Russian intelligence has also been long targeted the Bay Area. So it's a way in which to get into our, uh, I guess, influence us, influence America. Now, uh, there's a couple people had louder Crowder, uh, Steve Crowder was saying that Swalwell was caught with her in two different sexual interactions on FBI cameras. Apparently, I don't know if exactly that's true, but, uh, then I have Dan Bongino reporting that he was caught with her in a 24 seasons, uh, hotel room in 2014. I don't remember where exactly he, he said the date and everything. Dan Bongino, because Dan Bongino's got those insiders that work for the FBI, probably, that are telling him the information, so so he's pretty sure of what's going on, so Swalwell essentially got caught, uh, you know, by this, by this intel agency, or by, uh, rather, the Chinese government, they have some sort of dirt on him, and I guess they were thinking he was up and coming, I don't know how, because that guy's a complete moron, he's an imbecile, he did a terrible job, he's not charismatic, politically, has no acumen, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's him. And then I think he came out recently in the last couple of days and he didn't even say that it wasn't true that he didn't have any sexual relations with her. He just said something stupid like, uh, well, we really got to see who's coming out with this information. We gotta, we gotta vet the information. And that's, that's very telling that whenever, whenever liberals try to tell you that mainstream media and the social media companies, especially the big tech corporations do not actually have an impact on elections. They don't have an impact on personal thought or, or shaping the public opinion that is false. And it's proved by this alone. The fact that China and Russia, they are targeting these big tech organizations because they know if they can, if they have those big tech organizations, not only do they now if they have them in their pocket, they can grant access or gain information, but then they can use it to shape the public opinion. So next, next what I have is, I mean, there's so much information here in this one, but it's great. This is this is the the big one. But let me just wrap this up here in saying we have people in our government now at this point, and it's never been more obvious than right now that are not acting in America's interests, they're acting in their, whether their own personal interests or they're acting in the interests of another uh, entity, another country. And it's, it's very, uh, it's scary. If you think about, if you think, go, go back and you think about what I said about, uh, about China, how they take Uyghur Muslims and they ship them off in slave, essentially concentration camps for slave labor like the Nazis did to the Jew, they they legitimately do an act that's very similar. That's tantamount to that. They ship them out in these uh, trains, and they go and do slave labor, and they shave their heads. Uh, they put them in concentration camps. Essentially, those are the people that are trying to gain dominion over the United States. And once you gain dominion over the United States, you now own the entire world. The only thing that is stopping the chai from taking over the entire world is the United States of America. Without the United States, because they, they 
surpass everybody in numbers alone how many people they have infantry wise they have uh you know mass production of arms they have a lot of money in their system their people are living under terrible conditions because of it their people are it's to their people's detriment that they have a lot of money in their government uh, structure but that's what they want. They want dominion over everybody. They want their government to spread across the world. They want communism everywhere. And those are people that they treat their own citizens like that. They put them in concentration camps and they make them you know, do slave labor, manufacturing products that they go and they sell and make money off of. So that's and that is what they do to their own people. Imagine what they would do to Americans. And those are the people that we should be worried about. Anybody that says that otherwise is not paying attention to what's going on with our political class right now in this country. So now the next the next segment here I have I have the Steven Crowder interview. Uh, it's it's him just interviewing. You know what? Actually, first I'll hit this because it's more important. I have po- Buck Sexton's podcast. He did a very brief interview with Sean Parnell. Sean Parnell is running in Pennsylvania for the House of Representatives. He's running against this guy. I think his name's like something Lamb, uh, Jeremy Lamb or Hunter. Uh, I don't even know, but his last name's Lamb. The guy's running against. So Parnell's been affected by this this vote count in pennsylvania he was winning in the beginning of the night and parnell's a guy i'm pretty sure he's like an army ranger uh he is representative of pennsylvania i'm pretty sure he's like a native of pennsylvania i mean the dude is as pennsylvania as it gets uh the most relatable to regular voters so so now he's in this close race where i think he might be losing i'm not exactly sure what's going on with him but first uh, buck buck sexton asks him about litigation that they're proposing, and then he kind of goes on to explain that, and then he goes on to explain the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. But I'm going to explain the real law issues, what is being pushed by these, uh, by Parnell and by other, by other uh, candidates that ran in that election that now are contesting the election results. I'm going to tell you exactly what why it is unconstitutional by even the Pennsylvania uh, state constitution. Play that clip. Viewers, we, we brought a lawsuit uh, uh, through the Commonwealth Court, through the PA Supreme Court, and ultimately it ended up at the Supreme Court that, that asserts that Act 77, Pennsylvania's universal uh, mail-in absentee ballot law is unconstitutional. And look, it is facially unconstitutional uh it's clear uh we were been in the supreme court um after hearing both sides of the argument uh what they did was dismiss our our petition for injunctive relief only right now what we asked the supreme court to do and this is important was just temporarily halt the certification of pennsylvania while we debated the constitutionality of act 77 on the merits now, the PA Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to halt the certification. We're, we're going to allow that to move forward. But the critical piece here is that they did not dismiss our case like so many in the media have reported. Uh, we are allowed to petition for what's called a, a writ of certiori, um, which basically is, is legalese for uh, we're asking the Supreme Court to, to hear the case on the merits. And Buck, I think that they have an obligation to step in and, and, and rule on the merits because the people of this country deserve some clarity and they deserve to know 
if the elections that we conducted here in the, in the, in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are indeed constitutional. Because Okay, so what Parnell is referring to, and this is, this is what ended up happening, the act was in October 31st, 2019, when it happened, Act uh, 77, and you're not going to get this information anywhere. You may get the information of, oh, Act 77 is unconstitutional through the state constitution of Pennsylvania, but no one's going to point you really to a provision. Now, this what I have here, this information I found in on, let me see, I think it's a legal insurrection piece, and it is very important. I'm going to leave it in the show notes. Because it is very important. So what happened was the state Supreme Court pretty much dismissed the case, but didn't dismiss it. They didn't want to inject. They didn't want to throw away any ballots or anything. What they said is they're going to halt the confirmation of the vote, and they're going to allow them to battle the merits of the constitutionality of uh, Act 77, which is different than what the media reported as, as uh, Sean Parnell was talking about. And uh, in this petition, so I'm going to I'm gonna read off exactly, and I think this was what the Supreme Court decided. I'm just going to read off a part of it. And it states, and I quote, In the petition, petitioners allege that the act of October 31st, 2019, uh, Act 77, which added and amended various absentee and mail-in voting provisions in the Pennsylvania Election Code, one is unconstitutional and void, because it purportedly contravenes the requirements of the Pennsylvania Constitution, petitioners allege that Article 7, Section 14 of the Pennsylvania Constitution provides two exclusive mechanisms by which a qualified elector may cast his or her vote in an election, one by submitting his or her vote in, in person at the polling place on election day, or two, by submitting an absentee ballot, but only if the qualified voter satisfies the conditions uh, precedent to meet the requirements of one of the four limited exclusive circumstances under which absentee voting is authorized under the Pennsylvania Constitution. Uh, petitioners allege that mail-in voting in the form implemented in Act 77 is an attempt by the legislature to fundamentally overhaul the Pennsylvania voting system and permit universal no-excuse mail-in voting absent any constitutional authority. End quote. So what they're saying is Act 77 actually changed. It was it it should have never been passed to begin with Act 77 because it is not in concurrence. It does not uh, in terms of passing any law in a state. It's different than passing a constitutional amendment. The deference is always given to that constitution first. So this law should have never been passed when they went through this. What probably happened is it got uh, legitimized and apparently. At this time, their legislature was mostly, it was a majority Republican, so it got passed through, this initiative, and they, I guess at this time, they didn't even know what was going to happen with this whole situation, this whole coronavirus, but they passed this provision through, and they just did not consult the Constitution and whoever, really, to begin with, this is this is on our leg the legislatures of Pennsylvania as well as the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, because then the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania had to look at that law and then pass it through and allow it to go, and it should have never went. And I'm going to explain why. So Act 77, I'll tell you exactly what it sets up, and it is a little troubling what, what it does set up, too. And then I'll tell you... Uh, why it, it it why it violates the constitution 
So the law creates a new option to vote by mail up to 50 days. And this is straight off of the governor of PA's site. So, uh, yeah, it, it creates a new option to vote by mail up to 50 days before an election and be placed on a list to permanently receive a ballot application by mail. It also provides more time to register to vote and authorizes $90 million bond to help counties fund the purchase of new voting systems with a paper trail that strengthens the security of our elections. So th this is total, to me, to me, the $90 million bond to, to find voting systems or to go buy a Dominion voting system is very troubling. To me, it almost seems like a payoff to go get a, a Dominion voting system. You need $90 million to get a Dominion voting system. I mean, come on. Now, the 50 days, the, the whole permanently receiving a ballot application is troubling because then, I mean, in New Jersey in particular, uh, I know people that work at the post office that were delivering mail-in ballots to people that no longer lived at that address that was happening constantly uh, to that person that was delivering those ballots that told me about it. That's something that was a regular occurrence, so that could totally then happen in Pennsylvania. I just don't like the idea of them sending you something in the mail to vote every single time you want to... You should have to do your civic duty of voting. You should have to register. You should have to show up to the poll. Poll. You should have to do certain things or jump certain hoops to vote. It shouldn't just be something that is it's just negligent like that because then it opens up for voter fraud in those scenarios. So the no excuse mail in voting, and this is the biggest problem right here, uh, where it where it violates the constitution and i'll go over it uh no excuse mail-in voting the law creates a new option to vote by mail without providing an excuse which is currently required for voters using absentee ballots uh, pennsylvania joins 31 other states in washington dc with mail-in voting that removes barriers to elections so permanent mail-in and absentee ballot list, and that was the thing I referred to before. Voters can request to receive app applications for mail-in or absentee ballots for all primary general and special elections held in a given year. Counties will mail applications to voters on the list by the first Monday of each fe February. Uh, voters who return an application will receive ballots for each election schedule through the next February. Uh, Pennsylvania is the 12th state to provide voters with the automatic option. So the part where it really invalidates or it invalidates the act because you give deference to the Constitution, the Constitution supersedes any act. If you want to change the entire vote by mail, you're going to need a constitutional amendment. It's just like the federal government Constitution in that way. Now it states, now this, this is the Section 14, let me see, Article 7, Section 14 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. It states uh, in section A, the legislature shall by general law provide a manner in which in the time and place at which qualified electors who may on the occurrence of any election be absent from the state or county of their residence because their duties, occupation, or business require them to be elsewhere or who on the occurrence of any election are unable to attend at their proper polling places uh, because of illness or physical disability, or who will not attend a polling place because of the observance of a religious holiday, or who cannot vote because of election day duties. In the case of a county employee, may vote and before the return of the can 
canvas of their votes in the election district in which they respectively reside. B, for purposes of this section, municipality means a city, borough, uh, incorporate town, township, uh, none of that matters. So the most important part here is, to begin with, there is nothing in the Pennsylvania Constitution that states it's either one of two things. It's absentee ballot or you're going in person. So sending out these unsolicited ballots, this no-excuse mail voting, where they just send it out to begin to begin with, that's not the same as an absentee ballot. That's, to, that's the first thing. Now, the second thing that they run into, the other problem where it violates the Constitution, is that you now need no excuse to get a mail-in ballot. And it lays out in this Constitution, uh, section, section 14 of Article 7, it lays out the scenarios where you can actually get an absentee voting ballot and you still have to apply to it. They don't just send it out unsolicited like, you know, like New Jersey does where they just send it out to you. As long as you're registered, they send it out to you in New Jersey. Your last residence that's known. Now because, and, and this, this is where it says here, be absent from the state, and these are the four reasons, from the state or county of their residence because their duties, occupation, or business require them to be elsewhere or who on the occurrence of any election are unable to attend at their proper polling places because of illness or physical disability or who will not attend a polling place because of the observance of a religious holiday or who cannot vote because they have election day duties, like if you're a county employee. So it's election day duties. It's if, if you have some sort of a religious holiday that you have to observe, if you have a, a an illness or a physical disability and when they say illness they mean something like cancer they don't mean you know having the having a cold or something like that and then the fourth one is their the business your business occupation or what have you you have to go do like let's say you're on a business trip and you know you're going to be on that business trip that's when you can request an absentee so those are the four ways in which you could the four reasons that you actually would need to get an absentee ballot thus this invalidates all the mail-ins that were sent in. Essentially, if if the Supreme Court on the merits took this case up, which the Supreme Court won't, because it should, because they are now considered, uh, they are a limp body of of nothing. They they have no foundation. They no longer support the Constitution. From what it seems like to me, they don't want to take up any case. And and I'll get to this with the Texas Constitution. I mean, with the Texas uh, lawsuit in Pennsylvania. You have Alito and, and uh, Clarence Thomas are the only ones that actually want to hold any anything. They want to at least look at the case. No one else even wants to look at the case. And that's all three Trump appointees, Barrett, uh, Kavanaugh, and what's his name, Gorsuch. Nobody else wants to look at it, with the exception of Alito and Thomas. So this is deemed, this this act is deemed unconstitutional by uh, by the Pennsylvania constitution. So they do really have a case here. The Supreme court, like I said, the Supreme court of Pennsylvania pretty much said, Hey, we're, we're going to hold up the validation of the vote or the confirmation of the vote, but we're not going to throw away ballots. So then that's why they went and they appealed to the Supreme court. At the end of the day, no one wants to throw away ballots. Nobody wants to invalidate anybody's vote to begin with. It's really a state's problem because they were the ones screwing around. And this case goes on this Texas case that ends up going on. I'll explain that next. So so next what I have, I have a Steven Crowder interview. It's a very quick clip. It's Joel Pollack, and he is the attorney general in Texas that is actually pushing the lawsuit. What ends up happening is this lawsuit is, is around 21 states, as well as the Pennsylvania legislature joined in at the very end of this lawsuit. So 
the state of Texas filed a lawsuit directly with the U.S. Supreme Court shortly before uh, midnight on Monday challenging the election procedures in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin on the grounds that they violate the Constitution. So I'm going to play that clip next, and you're going to get an explanation of why they filed that lawsuit. For people who don't know, this suit that you have brought uh, against the state of Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, tell them what it is, what the basis is. So we simply are saying that these states ignored the Constitution, they ignored their own state laws, and throughout these states, local elected officials and judges changed the law and made their elections not follow state law, which under the Constitution, they're not supposed to do. They're supposed to, those elections are governed by state law, by state legislators, and when they start mucking around with state law, individual counties having different election laws than other counties, it creates credibility problems and it's unconstitutional and it affects my voters because we did it the right way. We fought off all these lawsuits. We followed state law and our, our elections are credible and theirs are not. And that disfranchises my voters and the voters of the rest of the country. Absolutely. So essentially the argument that's being made by uh, Joel Palick is that that by doing these these non-uniform changes in certain states in these specific states and having the court system or the executive branch change the voter the manner and the times and the way in which you tabulate the votes and doing all these things like for example in Pennsylvania they were accepting ballots up until Friday even though the election was uh was November 3rd, so November 6th, they were accepting ballots up until November 6th, which was unconstitutional because it's supposed to be uniform throughout the country the day of the election day. That's something that's voted on through Congress. And it went from the the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, and they said it was okay, and then it got appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, and at that time it was a 4-4 vote because they did not have Amy Coney Barrett, so then it kicked it back down to the state, so then they just validated validated that they could take votes up till Friday, which is really, that's a three-day window in which there should be no votes taken, they should throw all those votes out, that's how it should really work, it's not going to work that way, nobody wants to throw away ballots at this point, unless if there's some sort of overwhelming amount of evidence. So I have an article here from Breitbart. And it states, and I quote, Texas argues that these states violated the electors clause of the Constitution because they made changes to voting rules and procedures through the courts or through executive actions, but not through the state legislatures. Additionally, Texas argues that there were differences in voting rules and procedures in different counties within the states uh, violating the Constitution's equal protections clause. Uh, finally, Texas argues that there were voting irregularities in these states as a result of the above. So yeah, uh, equal protections clause. I've gone over that before. That's the Fourteenth Amendment. You know, all the all the rights and the rules are applied to everyone the same way. Meaning that in some states, let's say, you know, in in uh, one county, everything closes at eight o'clock, and then the other county, the polling closes at six o'clock. That's a way that's considered disenfranchisement, and I'm pretty sure that would be that would fall under the Fourteenth Amendment. It would be against the Constitution. Now, what he's stating here, this is interesting, the Elector's Clause, which I think is a 
they go on to explain this. So it states, and I quote, This case presents a question of law. Did the defendant states violate the elector's clause by taking non-legislative actions to change the election rules that would govern the appointment of presidential electors? These non-legislative changes to the defendant states' election laws facilitated the casting and counting of ballots in violation of state law which in turn violated the electors clause of article 2 section 1 clause 2 of the u.s constitution by these unlawful acts the defendant states have not only tainted the integrity of their own citizens' vote but their action have also debased the votes of citizens in plaintiff state and other states that remained loyal to the constitution End quote. So that's pretty much just saying, you know, the by you guys not following the rules that disenfranchise the rest of the country. So, I mean, they do have a solid argument. Like I said, the jurisdiction of the uh, judicial power, which I'll read that off first. This is why this should go directly to the Supreme Court. There's really no getting around it. It has to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ends up turning it down, but it has to go. So this is Article 3, Section 2 of the federal constitution it states the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this constitution the laws of the united states and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority to all cases affecting uh, ambassadors other public ministers and consuls to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction to controversies to which the united states shall be a party to controversies between two or more states and then it goes on, but two or more states. So any controversies between two or more states, that is the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. You can't really dodge it. You can't do a state court because then that'll be a biased state court. It has to be the Supreme Court's jurisdiction if they were to take up the case, which they did not. So what I have here is Article 2, Section 1. Now that is the Elector's Clause that they're that they're stating that these non-legislative uh, changes if you have if you go through the court system or the executive power of the governor that's considered a non-legislative change which would void the constitution of that state because that ha there has to be let that is that is considered a law and any law in general in our republic system law has to be passed and made by the legislator no matter what state it is, that's just that is considered a republic. You don't pass law through executive power. Like I said, I've said this before about the coronavirus lockdowns. These these executive orders are much more like re recommendations than there are anything else. They're not really written into law. They have not been agreed upon by the people because our representatives in the legislature are supposed to be considered the people. They're representatives of the people. So they represent us, and they haven't approved of it. Therefore, the people have not approved of your executive order, so it's not a law. We do not care about it. That's the way that you should take every single executive order from a tyrant. You should take it as, oh, okay, it's a recommendation. Don't care. See you later. It's pretty much toilet paper to you. That's how it should work. Now, so the, the Elector's Clause of Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, I will read that off. I have it here. So, Article 2, Section 1 states, and I quote, The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years, and together with the vice president chosen for the same term, be elected as follows. Each state shall appoint in, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct 
a number of electors equal to the whole number of, of senators and representatives to which this, the state may be entitled in the Congress, but no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. End quote. So pretty much this is just, it's stating what the electoral college is. So your electoral college votes are uh, that of how many senators you have combined with how many House of Representatives you have. So let's say, you know, uh, think New Jersey, it's what, 15. So you got like 13 House of Representatives and then you got two senators. So that gives you a 15 point vote in the electoral college. Now, now the most important thing is, is that the legislature is in charge of appointing those electors. Uh, those electors, I believe the people vote on them. Or no, I'm sorry, the, the the people vote on the legislature and then the legislature votes on the number of electors. But depending on how the vote ends up going on one side or the other, they pick uh, the electors. The way it works is it's like you got, you know, let's say 11, Demo you have 13 Democrat electors or you have 13 Republican electors. When the Republican ends up winning the majority or the Democrat, you choose that corresponding party and then they go up and they vote. And that's their electoral votes, technically. They're supposed to be the people of utmost integrity. There has been people that have, have gone the other way when they shouldn't have, but it's it has never actually affected an election. So what he's saying here is uh, Texas, what their argument is, all these disenfranchisements that you did to your own people in your states now, it's not fair, and it's not considered uh, the legislature choosing and and select or appointing these electors it's really you as the executive power it's you as the governor or the court system now doing our job as the legislature which is a violation of the federal constitution as well as each individual uh state constitution because like i said you're you're now giving legislative authority to the executive and the judicial branch you are commingling all of the all of the branches together and it just cannot work that way that's why there is a separation of powers so they do have a legitimate argument now it just depends if the supreme court wants to take it up which they decided not to yesterday uh friday december 11th 2020 and uh like i said it is important to tune into rumble or youtube i much rather prefer uh rumble at this point i'll tell you where i am I'm probably an hour and uh, an hour and nine minutes in at this point, just so then you can see this. This is an order in the pending case. This is coming straight from the Supreme Court. Texas v. Pennsylvania. Uh, it states the state of Texas's move motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lacking of standing under Article 3 of the Constitution. Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner of in which another state conducts its elections uh, all other pending motions are dismissed as moot meaning moot meaning uh little val little to no value uh statement of justice alito with whom justice thomas joins in my view we do not have discretion to deny the filing of a bill of complaint in a case that falls within our our original jurisdiction uh, see Arizona v. California. I would therefore grant the motion to file the bill of complaint, but would not grant other relief, and I express no view on any other issue. End quote. So really what he's saying is this this is the dissenting opinion, Alito, as well as Thomas. Everybody else ruled against them. They didn't even want to take the case. They're saying, in our view, we don't have the discretion to say we're just going to avoid uh, taking cases 
because it's inexpedient to us politically, really, at this point. That's what it seems like. It's It seems like political expediency right now. And like I said, the, the, it seems like there's a lot of, especially a lot of GOP guys, a lot of people are not willing to stand for the Constitution. It is written right here on paper, and they're they're stomping all over it. And I'm not even saying they need to overturn anything, but at least you should be, should just take up the case. The fact that you don't even want to take up the case makes you look even worse at the end of the day. Because then when this when everything's said and done, and let's say you have a Joe Biden victory, every no one's gonna believe that it's gonna it's gonna end up being an election that no one everyone holds it holds no importance it holds no validity it is it has no foundation it is a baseless victory because it wasn't even questioned because every single time it was brought up to litigation you brought up to the supreme court the supreme court just said oh well we're not even going to do anything about it. we're not going to act on it we're not going to investigate it we're not going to even hold a trial we're going to do nothing about it we're just going to kick it back down to the state court keep doing that over and over again because bureaucrats do not want it they don't want to take any responsibility for anything that happens these people they're like i said they want to get pat on the back at their country club they want you know their friends to come up to them and say they're so great and they're doing a great job they don't want to be hated uh, by the media like justice roberts you know justice roberts kind of just acts on the whims of what the media you know, oh, is the media hating me today? Oh, but you know, I have to go with what the media wants me to today. That's the way he is. And it's sad and pathetic. We have these spineless people that work in government that have zero conviction. It seems like all the people with conviction, you got a couple of them in the Republican Party. You have a Jim Jordan, you have Ted Cruz, uh, Matt Gates. I mean, there's a couple fighters for the cause, but I'll tell you, the majority is not. The majority are these establishment people, and they should be happy that they won their elections because Donald Trump's the only reason that Donald Trump's name being on the ballot is the only reason they won their election. And now they're acting like it was all them. They think that this Republican Party is going to have their back now in the next couple coming years when they have nothing to say and they do nothing for us and they do not represent us right now and they think that they're still going to win the vote they may they may they may may win the vote to our our uh, chagrin but it's not it's not going to be an actual support we do not support these people these people that don't stand up for conservative values constitutional rights and uh principles and american american values too these people that don't stand up for that we don't need you anymore get out of the party we need to almost uh they're talking about seceding and this is what i have next actually i have a uh and i'll explain why i'm i'm gonna i'm stating this now chairman west so alan west the chairman of the republican party of texas he had a press release uh it states, and I quote, the Supreme Court in tossing the Texas lawsuit that was joined by 17 states and 106 U.S. congressmen have decreed that a state can take unconstitutional actions and violate its own election law, resulting in damaging effects on other states that abide by the law, while the guilty state suffers no consequences. This decision establishes a precedent that says states can violate the U.S. Constitution and not be held accountable. This decision will have far-reaching ramifications for the state of our Constitution republic perhaps law-abiding states should bond together and form a union of states that will abide by the constitution end quote uh, and, then, and then it states uh, the texas gop will always stand for the constitution and for the rule of law even while others don't so there's been a huge uplash from the liberals the lefty media they're all freaking out over this because they're, they're he is uh, inferring a secession from the union 
uh, saying pretty much people that abide by the law and the, and the red state should all form up together and then you guys can in your blue states you can screw around and then you can raise taxes and screw everybody out of all their money and you can practice your police state tactics you can uh, burn down buildings and burn down and and uh, assault innocent people in the middle of the street you can do all that and we'll go live in our red states essentially that's that's what this comment is and then they're freaking out oh my god he's saying they're gonna secede from the why wouldn't why would why would these red states want to be a part of you you've called them racist you've called them bigoted homophobic the last four years and now you call for unity and then you're trashing them on a daily basis why would why would these people want to be a part of the country anymore with you why and then and then after all this this election information that comes out and then there's a total suppression by the mainstream media why would anybody be want to be a part of this at this point and no one's enforcing the the rules no one's enforcing the laws yeah it's it's essentially hey we'll live in our state where we have freedom and liberty and we abide by the laws and you guys can live in your dystopian uh garbage town nightmare cartoon network over there in uh, cnn you guys can handle it over there and see how that goes for you and i'm actually uh i am not uh i'm pretty warm to what he's saying honestly i mean i live in a blue state i would if, if you told me hey you can move your job to a red state and uh you can live in liberty and freedom in that red state and you won't have to worry about encroachments by your governor your your hacky you know tyrannical governor then i would be very willing to move to a red state so th this is probably a shared opinion amongst a lot of people, so we don't have to deal with... There's the constant fighting that has to happen. I have to sit here, and I have to constantly fight the left, and I have to constantly fight the liberals just to just to keep my my God-given rights in that are bestowed and by, by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ along with... And then they're also def supposed to be defended by the government, and I have to sit here and fight you guys relentlessly. It's just never-ending. It's, it's exhausting. I'm in for the fight. I'll keep going. I don't care. I will continue to fight. I know a lot of uh, freedom-minded, liberty-loving Americans will do the same. They may. I think you're surprised by how many there actually are out there. They're just not as uh, verbal as I am and outspoken we will continue to fight but man is it exhausting having to fight these policies where my, my whole thing is i don't even i just want my rights that's it it's not that hard like well my rights are your rights too it's not like i only get them and you don't that's the difference between leftism and conservatism is conservatism it's like my rights that i get afforded to me you also have the same ones you're the one trying to take things away from me. I'm not taking anything away from you. You can do whatever the heck you want. As long as you abide by you know, simple law, you're not taking other people's property or, or assaulting them, then you're pretty much good to go and I'll do my thing and you, you can go do your individual thing over there. Why is it that we all have to abide by like your tyrannical dictates and you're compelling us by law to do things? Why can't we all just, why can't I live my individual life here and you can live yours over there? Why is it that you're trying to constantly take from me, whether it's my taxes, whether it's it's my it's my uh, First Amendment, my Second Amendment, whatever it is, why is it that you're taking from me and I, in response, I have to sit there and fight you off? It, it becomes exhausting. 
after a while. So I can completely resonate. I can resonate with what Alan West is saying because I understand it. You can live in, in a society where you don't have to worry about people constantly trying to take everything from you all the time. And you have to sit there and explain to them why. I mean, look at look at all the things that I talk about in these podcasts, how many how much information I find, how many how many different source data I have. I have to do all this to combat liberalism because it's like a cancer. It just spreads everywhere because it's the group think over the individual it's always about the group more than the individual there is a exalting of the group the group is much more important than the individual rights of the citizen and that's the way they think that's why it is so easy to spread because that individualist mindset isn't as easy to spread as a groupism or a group think or a leftism is where everything's oh we all think the same you know uh, you you notice on the conservative side they can have liberal friends but it's not the other way around the liberals the lefties the far lefties they can't have any conservative friends it's not possible for them because they think they're racist they think they're terrible people it's it's just disheartening this whole thing's just disheartening like i said it's exhausting having to constantly fight i'm down for the fight i will continue to fight and i'll also continue to fight for you leftists for your rights as well to say what you want to say but after a while it gets old and there's a lot of americans that that really truly are sick of it and if this doesn't get done if if at least the court doesn't even look at the case this will be considered in the history of america one of the greatest disservices that our public servants have ever done and one of the biggest clown shows in our history and and no one's going to validate this if if you're a republican the republicans across the board about 75% of them think that this the election was stolen and, and if it doesn't go to court and there's no looking at the case and what's going on and we're looking at all these uh, affidavits, thousands of them, you don't even want to look at any of them. When that ends up happening and then at the end of the day you go and you appoint your Joe Biden, the establishment in the swamp, don't think people aren't going to be pissed off and people aren't going to uh, accept this because this isn't acceptable. This is pathetic. This is a pathetic display of our republic right now. It's disgusting and it's not the system. It is the people that run the system straight into the ground so finally here what i have now this is youtube uh they came out and this this i covered the other day very briefly it's from also from breitbart and this is where they came out and they said they've announced that to remove any content that questions joe biden's victory in the 2020 uh, u.s presidential election despite the fact that legal challenges involving multiple states continue youtube also announced it will be promoting authoritative uh news sources such as nbc and cbs and video recommendations so here's another thing authoritative news sources do you think that wasn't hap- that wasn't happening in a socialist or communist russia during stalin you don't think stalin promoted authoritative news sources in other words it's what you want us to listen to is considered the authoritative news source which is like pravda media and now it's the, this this big tech conglomerate these these big tech corporations have more power than the russian government ever had the reach that they have far extends the russian government you know when you're when you were at home the russian government really was not spying on you from there when you're home and you go on your computer you go on your phone these tech companies know everything that you're doing all of the time they're in the background watching every single little thing you do so they could sell you more product if anything is free that just means that you are the product at this point you are the product being sold 
It is your information being sold. So authoritative news sources have been used in many different socialist and communist regimes and authoritarians have used that many times to push their propaganda, which is no surprise that now they're using that term. So yesterday was the, and, and this is straight from the article, yesterday was the safe harbor deadline for the U.S. presidential election and enough states have certified their election results to determine a president-elect. Given that, we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or anytime after that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors change the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election in line with our approach towards historical U.S. presidential elections. For example, we will remove I uh, we will remove videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election due to widespread software glitches or counting errors. Just those two specifically, software glitches and counting errors. Anything else is fine. Because because those are the two things that are in question right now. And and then it continues, we will begin enforcing this policy today and will ramp up in the weeks to come. As always, news coverage and commentary on these issues can remain on our sites if there's sufficient education, document scientific or artistic context which is just an extremely broad statement that they make so it's easier to kick you off uh for for pretty much, oh this doesn't have sufficient education you know for any really broad reason that they want to so that's that was the press i guess it was like a blog it was on youtube's blog that statement there and then youtube additionally announced that it will be promoting authoritative news sources and this is the part that should really trouble you the most uh, such as nbc and cbs now it continues now let's look at recommendations one of the main ways our viewers find content limiting the reach of border borderline content and prominently surfacing authoritative information are important ways we protect people from problematic content that doesn't violate our community guidelines. Over 70% of recommendations on election-related topics came from authoritative news sources and the top recommendations the recommended videos and channels for election-related content were primarily authoritative news. In fact, the top 10 authoritative news channels were recommended over 14, 14 times more than the top 10 non-authoritative uh, channels on election-related content. So for me, it seems like they are suppressing the non-authoritative channels considering the top 10 authoritative news channels were recommended over 14 times they are messing around with their algorithm they're controlling the flow of information that is going into the human mind and the regular american voter 70 percent of their recommendations are are on the top because and and just think about that 70 percent of the recommendations so that means there's 30 percent of people at least that are able to get through the algorithm somehow Essentially, because YouTube is is a conglomerate owned by uh, by Alphabet, and they also run Google. And then I had that other article or that other video where Google throttles anything or suppresses any conservative content, even for conservative users, and actually puts up more liberal search results for more conservative viewers trying to win them over to the other side. So they fix this algorithm. They're controlling the flow of information. They're, they are they are the funnel for whatever information they want. And this is the most important part, the very end. Most viewed U.S. election-related content. These are the top videos are from ABC News, USA Today, NBC News, CBS News, and NBC News. That is all 
lefty outlets. There's not one even close to the middle or conservative of those. And then the top channels were ABC News, NBC News, USA Today, CNN, and CBS News. Once again, these are all left channels. These are not even, call them left of center. It's not moderate. It's just left. They are left. There's no one even in the middle. And there's no conservative news networks on there. And you know what? Conservatives are going to other places. They're going to Parler. They're going to Rumble. They are going to the Daily Wire, Dan Bongino site. They're going to Buck Sexton. They're they're listening to Rush Limbaugh. They are not listening to the mainstream media on television anymore. They do not care. So that's that's really it for this one. Uh, I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. I mean, I know I'm a little long today. I've been trying to cut it down. It's hard to because there's just so much information to cover. I actually had a bunch of news stories that I that I left for next week that I'll be I'll be covering and handling next week. Uh, you know, just to wrap it up, it is it is disheartening seeing everything that's going on with this these Chinese interactions and this Chinese trying to almost dismantle our constitution, dismantle our government, take the American people hostage. And we do have enemies amongst us and we need fighters. We need strong people to stand up for conservatism and for conservative values. And our GOP is not really doing anything at this point for the American, for the American voter. And we need to fix this system, whether, whether Donald Trump wins or not, we need to fix this this constitutional pathetic dis this unconstitutional pathetic display that we're having right now we really we got we have to figure it out uh we're are we're gonna be in shambles if this doesn't get fixed it needs it needs to be fixed and uh yeah our our supreme court's letting us down big time but you know stay in the fight the yearning for freedom never ends I will continue, and I know many others will continue to fight for freedom. We will not give up on those principles. So thank you for tuning in, everybody. Please like, share, subscribe. Uh, drop the mic on anyone you know. Tell them about the podcast. Uh, that's that's really it, everybody. I will see you on Monday. I greatly appreciate you all for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.